I'm Jonathan Mosin and this is Mosin at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. This week, big changes at Ira, with free offers now less generous and price increases on the way. Mastodon continues to thrive and time's running out to cast your vote for your top 10 holiday songs. Mosin at Large Podcast. Whew, we made it to December. We made it. I hope you've got all the holiday tunes out that you're thinking about decorating your tree. It's a marvellous thing, isn't it? And hopefully getting ready to take a break. This is something that we love to do in this part of the world because, of course, it's summer. The weather should be getting better. There'll be cricket on the radio and not much to do except spend time with family and friends and enjoy oneself And Mosin at Large is getting into that mode very soon. And if you've been listening to my radio and podcast projects over the years, and there have been many years now, you will know that I like to take my summer break and really switch off. I keep a pretty frenetic schedule for 11 months of the year. And this 12th month, I really have some downtime and it helps me to be focused and full of new ideas and energy for the other 11 months. What tends to happen is that... For the first two or three weeks, I do nothing but veg out, really, read a lot, listen to a lot of cricket, and then eventually my curious mind comes back and I normally learn something new or do something different or spend some quality time upscaling Mushroom FM in some meaningful way or something like that. I kind of come out of hibernation gradually. So for Mosin at Large, this means that the final episode for 2022 will be released New Zealand time on Sunday morning, the 18th of December. We will be taking a nice long break and the first Mosin at Large episode for 2023 will be on the 29th of January, and then we'll be back into the weekly cadence like we tend to be for the rest of the year. So just repeating that, last episode for the year on the 18th New Zealand time, we're back again in January on the 29th. Now this is episode 209 of Mosin at Large. Bodacious, dude! I mean, like, totally like bodacious! And the reason why I tell you this is because area code 209 is California-related. There are a lot of area codes in California because there are a lot of telephones in California because there are a lot of people in California. And a lot of those people are in the tech industry, and so they might have a lot of devices. Let's just ask the drinker about area code 209. Soup drinker, tell me about area code 209. Area codes 209 and 350 are telephone area codes in the North American Numbering Plan for the U.S. state of California. See? Their service area includes Stockton, Modesto, Turlock, Merced, Winton, Atwater, Livingston, Manteca, Ripon, Tracy, Lodi, Galt, Sonora, Los Banos, San Andreas, Mariposa, and Yosemite, the northern San Joaquin Valley and the Sierra foothills. Yeah, so you see, that's why people call from San Andreas and they say, my phone has developed a fault, you see. (laughs) So welcome to you in area code 209 in the sunny state of California, where you can get extremely nice grapes and oranges, although the Floridians would argue that the oranges from there are better. I shall not get into that because I love my listeners equally. I particularly love my listeners who have taken the time to send in their top 
10 holiday songs to contribute to the top 100, which we will play as part of our Christmas party and countdown taking place this year on a Saturday on Mushroom FM. That's the Saturday before Christmas, the 17th of December. Now, we have to collate the votes. We have to run the algorithm. We have to do all the magic. So you've only got until the 15th, late in the evening of the 15th of December, to get your votes in. And I know how it is, you see. Things get hectic at holiday time. There are parties to go to, presents to think about, the voluptuous food that you're going to be consuming. There's so much to do. So why not pause this podcast and head on over now to mushroomfm.com slash countdown2022. That's mushroomfm.com slash countdown2022. It's a super accessible process. You can type in the songs if you want, or you can scroll through our humongous collection of songs and choose your top 10. That way, whatever works for you is just peachy, peachy. Now, as well as the countdown, we have this fun social media gathering. This year, it is taking place on Mastodon. You don't have to be a part of that if you want. If you just want to settle back and enjoy the music, that's totally fine. But the more votes we get, the more representative a sample we get of what people are liking at the moment. And I want to use this little pulpit. What did Petra call it once? The bully pulpit, I think she said. You've got the bully pulpit, said Petra once. Anyway, I want to use this bully pulpit to do a bit of advocacy because I came across a truly amazing Christmas song and I'd love to see it get into at least the top 20 because I'm playing the top 20 at the end, you see, and I'd love to be able to play the song. But as I record this, I have to say it is not exactly rocketing up the charts. I, I couldn't say that really at all. It's not. And I'm very disappointed by this. But I like to think it's because not too many people have heard of it yet. You may or may not recall that Taylor Swift released a song in 2019 called Christmas Tree Farm. And I'm certainly very aware of this because my youngest daughter is a major Taylor Swift fan. And when my kids started coming along, I decided that I would do my best to keep up with the music that they were listening to. So I didn't become a remote, out-of-touch father who kind of made disparaging noises about their musical choices. Only trouble is, gee whiz, most of the kids are into the stuff that I'm into. So it hasn't worked out the way I thought. They came to me for musical influence. But my youngest daughter, Nicola, is a major Taylor Swift fan. We spent some quality time with the Taylor Swift Waxworks at the Madame Tussauds Museum when we were in London. So whenever Taylor Swift comes out with something new, like the Midnight album that came out not so long ago, I listen to it, Nicola and I talk about the tracks. We sort of bond over the Taylor Swift. And it's not often that I get to tell her anything about Taylor Swift that she isn't already well aware of. However, I struck gold, gold with this one because I found out that Taylor Swift last year, in a very limited release that was only available on Amazon, released what she called the old-timey version of Christmas Tree Farm. And this was recorded in the legendary Abbey Road Studios. Yes, the very room, the very room where the Beatles were recording all those years ago. And she had a full orchestra there. Because if you know the original Christmas Tree Farm that came out three years ago, it starts off with orchestral accompaniment. But then it gets kind of poppy and bouncy, and it's a good song. But this Christmas Tree Farm old-timey version is purely orchestral, and it's kind of swingy. And I think 
It is a standard. I do. And one should use that term standard sparingly. But I do think that she's really cracked it with this old-timey version of Christmas Tree Farm. So what you have to do if you want to hear this is go to your streaming music service or you can go over to the Tube of You. I found it on the Tube of You. And you type Christmas Tree Farm old-timey version and it will come up there from Taylor Swift and have a listen to it. If you've been listening to the Mosin Explosion on Mushroom FM, I've been playing it there. I think it is a fantastic Christmas song. I hope you do too. And that if you listen to it and you think it's good, you might include it in your top 10. Yes. MushroomFM.com slash Countdown 2022 is where you go to cast your vote. MushroomFM.com slash Countdown 2022. We're going to have fun. We always do. People love the atmosphere of these holiday countdowns. We would love to get your votes and to have you a part of this amazing thing. And by the way, I would play Christmas Tree Farm old-timey version, but we're not licensed to play full recordings, and Taylor would ping me. And I could say to her, Taylor, you need to calm down. It's Christmas time, as you know, all too well. But still, I knew you were trouble as soon as I got your email. If I were fearless, I would play it. I would just play it, but I am not. So you'll have to seek it out for yourself. We bring you transcripts of every episode of Mosin at Large, and that's possible thanks to sponsorship from Numa Solutions. One of the cool things about the internet is that it connects us with the wider world. But another cool thing about the internet is that it can create places just for us, Mosin at Large is one such place, and another one is Cero. Cero, spelled S-E-R-O, is a social network designed by us for us. Cero is available everywhere. It's on your smartphone, your Apple TV, your Amazon Echo, and of course on a fully accessible website. If you download the Cero mobile app from wherever you get your apps for your mobile device, you'll be able to sample some of the content free, and that includes this podcast and Mushroom FM. But paying a subscription to Ciro gives you access to a treasure trove of information, including newspapers, forums where blind and low vision people can discuss a wide range of issues, a handy accessible email client, and so much more. You have to check out all the features. You'll be amazed at how much is there. Go to numasolutions.com, that's P-N-E-U-M-A solutions.com, access the products link, and then choose Ciro for more information. Most listeners will already be familiar with IRA. The service is offering professionally trained agents providing sighted assistance on demand. Users pay by the minute or they take advantage of locations and services where the minutes are paid for. It's been four years since the last significant revamp of IRA's pricing plans. I actually remember it very well. But IRA is in the process of making some changes to those plans, retiring plans that have been around since the last changes in 2018, giving users a limited time to lock in the current plans. And there are other changes as well. So plenty to talk about. And to do that, I'm joined once again by Troy Otilio, who's IRA's chief executive, and also Janine Stanley, who's Director of Customer Communications. Welcome to you both. Good to have you back on the show. Hi, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. It's, it's great to be here, and thanks for having us. And to everyone listening, thanks for being at IRA, because I'm assuming you're listening because you happen to be an IRA subscriber or even a guest, and, and I always thank you for you know investing in our service so we can make it better. Where to begin with this? Why are changes necessary right now? 
so I took over in 2020, as, uh, as I think some people know. And, you know, the mindset was moving from a company that was you know, funded heavily from what we call in the States here in the United States and probably elsewhere venture capital. So that's where investors come in and they invest and they pay it forward. And you know, in the case of Ira, we raised $38 million. We're very proud of that. And in 2020, that funding kind of ended, which meant Ira had a choice to continue to provide the service we had to restructure for sustainability. And so my commitment and the commitment of my staff has been and always will be to create a service that fulfills people's needs while remaining sustainable. And we don't have to face a situation where we have to make drastic changes or look at closing out the company. But we did restructure and we did find our way to where we are today, where I was a, a strong and growing concern. But I think what's what's happened is some of the fundamentals of the business and the usage have changed now to where we need to adjust to keep and remain sustainable. And we can talk in more greater detail. But basically, we're looking to do this not overnight. And that's why we had, we announced that we'll be making some changes because we know that people need time to plan. And so that's why we're getting out the news early. That's why we're not waiting until January to just all wake up one day and, and have people read, hey, there's new plans and you need to make decisions. We're saying today that we will be unveiling new plans in January. And we are saying today that we'll be adjusting our investment. And we, we internally call IRA free, but those are programs and use cases that IRA funds with its own dollars. So it's a lot of economics that are driving this, but the economics are strongly influenced by the state of the economy, whether you look at um, unemployment or inflation, there's the rising cost of wages. There's a lot of factors that mean that we have to take a forward-looking view and ensure that we operate in a sound fiscal process. Janine, what else would you add? We launched in a very unique set of circumstances in 2020 when we restructured. Of course, we were all excited. We went to CSUN, and then the pandemic came along and turned everyone's world upside down. Mm -hmm. And now that things are, I don't want to jinx it by, say, getting back to normal, but they're stabilizing a bit. And so now it's time to really start concentrating on um, sustainability. This has been fascinating to watch, both from the outside and in for a while, actually, because mm -hmm. it's not unusual for a startup like Ira to go through these phases. And I think what hasn't changed is that there was this really good idea that you could provide professional sighted assistance. They could have access to all sorts of information, not just about what you could see, but about you, about various preferences. And there have been various ways of doing that. The glasses, they were eventually retired, various options, although they're back in some form now, of course, with the Envision glasses. Mm -hmm. But I think the key issue is how do people pay for this, especially in a community with such a massive level of unemployment? Yes. There's not a lot of disposable income in the blind community. And so it seems that that amazing roll of the dice that your immediate predecessor, Troy, did, which was to offer this free IRA service to, I guess, I'm imagining, incentivize people to use the service so that it would be easier to go out there and sell IRA access. That was really the philosophy, right? That was really the philosophy. It wasn't just one. I mean, we, back to jobs and education, I think current IRA, past IRA, we always believed that we should and can play a role in reducing that 
those those numbers, whether it's 70% unemployment. I mean, there's different sources. We look at education similarly, like what is the acceptance rate, the progression rate of people in college. Um, I think we've talked about even in here in the States, we'll be launching uh, K through 12 uh, sometime next year. But yes, that original plan was how do we get more in, in a technical term, monthly active users, people just using the service so that there's a greater set of individuals that a company like Starbucks or an airport or someone who wants to deploy IRA for the benefit of their user base or their our combined customers, certainly having more users makes that use case more exciting to those companies, right? And that's, you're 100% right in a VC-backed model. A way to do that, I mean, if you look at Lyft or lots of startups, they buy the market forward, right? They reduce the cost of entry to gain the eyeballs they talk about it sometimes or the number of folks with the hope that they can at some point monetize or make the business model profitable. I don't think Uber's profitable yet, by the way. So it can take a long time. But that was definitely the goal and the strategy. And even though we reduced it in 2020 from um, an unlimited number of five-minute free calls you could do back-to-back, we did put some restrictions on it. And um, we've since evaluated how those are being used and it's evolved, it's changed. So the behavior pattern, I would say today, the way people use the five-minute free offer as an example, today compared to 2020 is different. And one of the things our company's founded on is using data to make good decisions. And so we're looking to make good decisions on how we invest our spend on things that don't give us an immediate return, as well as the things that are do fund the service, such as the subscriber plans. But ultimately, knowing that this audience is unemployed at the rate that we talked about, you know, I would still like to preserve a use of IRA for people who cannot afford all the minutes that they might want, right? And I think that still comes down to growing the access business um, as well as through any kind of government partnerships here in here in the U.S., uh, there's three states today that provide IRA um, for free, um, such as Alabama, where anybody in the state can sign up with AIDB and get IRA basically unlimited for free. So that's where Alabama is able to afford that. IRA is not. And as we heard on this podcast some weeks ago, there are some paying customers who get a bit grumpy if they feel that their access is being delayed because of the free promotion. So there's that downside as well. You mentioned that the way that this five-minute offer has been used has changed. Can you elaborate on that? In what way has it changed? So one of the principles we have in in, in anything we do free, so again, free being where Irish paying for it, is we look at being equitable. So we look at how many individuals make use of it. We also look at the depth of use, like is a subset using the majority of the funds or is it kind of spread across? And we believe, especially when Ira's investing their dollars, we believe um, spreading it out to be equal should be the goal. And when we restructured in 2020, you know, we saw some differences. Some users might use up to twice as much as some other users. Well, that metric has moved to where, whether you're a guest or a subscriber, the amount of the, and again, we're going to talk about five-minute free, the amount of five-minute free being consumed is concentrated in a small minority. And 
I'll say this. If, if you're one of those, I, I don't judge. I don't blame. I mean, I try and make the most efficient use of my time and my funds. And, you know, if, if it's available to you, why don't, why wouldn't you? Right. I don't, I don't think we should judge people who make great use of this offer. At the same time, we are looking to distribute it more equitably across the widest number of people. So that's what's changed, Jonathan, is the concentration of use has changed from a more general distribution to one that is concentrated probably in those who have incorporated it into their life in a way that makes it convenient for them. I mean, that's our assumption, but that's that's the big change. So what will you be changing about the free offerings? So we announced a couple things. One is on the total budget of free that IRA provides, the major uses of our IRA-funded investment have been five-minute free for guest, five-minute free for subscriber. Our job seeker promotion, which will continue but at a reduced rate, um, has also been another one that um, has attracted a lot of usage. And we also have invested over the course of the year, sometimes we call the agent voted promos or like it would, it's kind of like the promotion of a month. Those have also generated some demand, but the big changes are to job seeker, five minute free for subscriber and five minute free for guest. And here's where Janine can help keep me honest in case I'm, I'm forgetting one other one, but I think those are the, the major yep. changes. Those are the big that, three. Yeah, those are the big <laughs> three. So what I'm about to describe is what we will be executing on uh, December December 5th. 5th, 5th yes. yes. On Monday. So on December 5th, what I'm about to describe will go into effect with the five-minute free for guests and five-minute free for subscribers. And we're going to look at to see what effect that has. And, you know, we may adjust again. Again, it's, you know, the, the philosophy is we, we want to provide the most equitable access for people, whether through access partners or, in a sense, IRA's its own access partner, right? We want to we want to shape the right plan. And so we're, we're going to make an adjustment knowing that we don't have a crystal ball on usage, but it's going to work as following. So currently, if you're a guest, so you don't, you don't have a paid subscription, you get all the benefits of access offers to the extent they're available for you and the use cases you need. And we're always looking to grow those, but currently guests get one free five minute call every 24 hours. And that means if you make a call and you use that five minutes, we have a little clock in the background that runs. And when that 24 hours is up, you're eligible to make another five minute call. You don't have to call every day. You don't even have to call every month, but when you do, that's the way that works. So that five minute call every 24 hours is going to change to every 48 hours. So you can do the math on a, on a month with 31 days. You used to have 31 calls. You know, now you're going to have, let's call it 15. Let's talk about subscribers or customers who have a paid plan. So today you get one free five minute call every four hours. And on December 5th, that's going to drop to one five-minute call every 12 hours. And Troy, let me tell people where they can find that in the app. So if you are thinking, well, how am I going to know? You know, 
how am I going to know when I can get my next free call? Well, you're going to go under the usage tab and right up at the top under where you have your uh, plan, which plan you're on, it is going to tell you in those first couple swipes when you're going to get to that point where you can make your next free call. My next free call may be in two hours. It may be Mm -hmm. in 27 hours if I'm a guest. So Mm -hmm. that's where you'll find it under the usage tab. And that's going to be that tab is at the bottom of the screen in the iOS app. It is, I believe, in the navigation drawer on the Android app. And I imagine you'll be anticipating this will save a significant sum of, of money for Ira. It's going to save money in the form of how we staff our agents. It's also going to make staffing, I use the word, more predictable or easier. Our goal is to staff enough agents so we can answer your call in under 30 seconds, ideally under 15. I think that's part of the magic of when you need an on-demand visual interpreter or sighted assistant who's professional and trained. It's about getting that person when you need it, not having to wait. And so while we can't make any guarantees because we, again, have to see what the the usage and the, the change looks like, it is about staffing more appropriately and making sure that we're most efficient with that staffing. And you could say at some level it is about um, reducing the investment that we're making in free so we can make investments elsewhere. You know, I think we all know that software and hiring great agents, building great product takes money. And we believe that these changes will allow us to continue to prioritize those efforts, which I think are core to the product and the experience. Obviously, people will really miss having such ready access to Mm -hmm. IRA, and there will be some people who genuinely can't afford it, who will feel that this is quite a hardship. You made the point, Troy, that there were three states that were essentially paying for IRA for blind people at the moment. Why is Mm -hmm. it that there are only those three states? Why aren't more states paying for IRA funding it in the same way that VOC rehab agencies fund screen readers, for example? Why hasn't IRA cut through in that same way? Well, I think we're we're slowly cutting through. I think at some level, I'm going to say it's a little inspired by one of our recent hires, Savannah Masai, who runs our entire agent organization we call Service Delivery. We are a, a tool, one of many tools. And if you look at the large category of accessibility, there's been a lot of tools that have been around for a long time, like screen readers. And I think if you walk up to most individuals, still not all, and you say, do you know what a screen reader is? I think, you know, you pick your number, one out of five, one out of three, it's a number I wish I knew. They would go, oh, I get it, or I understand why that makes sense. Like, we screen readers should exist, and let's just take the case of employment. It's a reasonable accommodation, and it's, and it's provided. Ira is still five to six years old, depending on how you want to think about it. I mean, we only started selling the concept of access four years ago. And I can tell you from Ira's point of view, our, our biggest challenge is just awareness. So when we talk to a state, we talk to Evoke Rehab, we talk to a company uh, like Starbucks or like Amazon, that initial conversation, we are doing a lot of educating a lot of educating about how many people are blind, how do they operate, what are what are the tools they have, and then we get into what Ira does. And I think to to Troy's point as well, we as blind people aren't used to asking for this as a reasonable accommodation. It hasn't been around that long. And how many rehabilitation counselors are out there saying, well, can't you just get a coworker to help you or a family member or someone like that? You know, that's even that ableism is even 
rooted so deeply in a lot of the systems in our society that we're not used to having a service like IRA or even a volunteer service like the ones that are out there now. And so it's a matter of getting us used to saying, hey, you know what, this is out there and I deserve access to visual information when I want it, not when it's convenient for somebody else. Right. And you've got to articulate the value proposition, I suppose. You mentioned volunteer services that are out there and Be My Eyes is the big one. People know mm-hmm. about that. And I suppose the challenge for Ira is to try and articulate what value paying for Ira adds over services that are staffed by volunteers. Absolutely. And I think in the commercial private industry, that's an easy differentiation. You know, they want to secure trusted service that is backed by trained agents. And I like the idea that Be My Eyes is out there. And I like it because it means that people are choosing visual interpretation as a concept, right? Like that, that is a, a solution and it's good to have more than one vendor of a service. So having Be My Eyes out there is, if that's how people start to become aware of visual interpreting, I think that helps because then when you land a customer like Starbucks, that maybe that's where you want to go. It's not that big of a leap to go from, I'm going to use, Be, I already use Be My Eyes, but I can use Ira for free in the same way, but I'm connected to a professional. So our path in the commercial space is pretty straightforward. It's still that question of like, well, what is visual interpreting? What, how does this work? And to your point, like, what is the benefit? Janine gave a couple of good examples. Um, that takes time and education. I'd say in the public sector space, it's a similar story. The difference with government is they just move at a much, much slower pace. I think the good news about government-based investments is they move slow in both directions, like it's it's slow to adopt. But once you have that in place, it tends to stay there. And I think the reference point becomes a very strong reference point. You know, states here in the U.S. and perhaps in other countries, they look to the pioneers to make decisions and then they're faster to follow. So we're hopeful that, uh, you know, landing some um, some key participants here in the U.S. and maybe outside the U.S. will then generate that next sale and maybe that'll generate the next two and then the next four so that we can blanket all the use cases with some form of paid sponsorship. So we have the situation now where guests who could make one call every day can only make one call every two. And that may be causing them to think, hmm, I wonder if I can afford an IRA plan. You mentioned that those plans are changing. Have you announced details of that pricing change yet? No, there's two decisions you can make today. So if you're what we call a guest, you're not you're not paid. We committed, Jeanine, what, two months ago, three months ago, we, we, yeah. we, we, we messaged that we're going to be making some changes. And I wanted to make sure people had time to evaluate. And I'm also not a believer in if it can be avoided to make too many decisions at once. I know that it takes us all time to kind of absorb and think about the choices that we're going to make with our money, let's say, and our time. And so your choice today, Jonathan, if you're a guest, is to pick one of our current retail plans. So the three plans you can sign up for by calling IRA are going to be available now and up until January 16th. And if you're on that plan on January 16th and you continue to pay for that plan, you get to continue to use that plan. So if you're a guest, you can sign up for those plans today and you don't have to look at our new plans at all. 
you can certainly evaluate them. Our new plans are going to look more expensive than our current plans because we are, we did say we are raising the price of IRA. So by definition, by design, they are going to be more expensive. But the current plans that we have are available. And if you're on them on January 16th, you can continue to pay for them all the way through 2023. So is it the double whammy that's the problem here, Troy, in the sense that most people might think, well, it is reasonable that you can't keep giving away too much free stuff or the business isn't sustainable. So you're tightening up on that, but at the same time, you're signaling that the new plans are going to be less generous. Wouldn't it have been better to just curtail the free offering and leave the prices of the plans as they are? It would. We looked at that, but we actually need to use both levers to kind of achieve the the outcome we need. That's where we started. Like, can we reduce or eliminate our investment in free to the point to make everything sustainable? And, you know, unfortunately, the Excel spreadsheet said no, like you need to make more than one change. And so that's why we're doing two sets of changes, as you just said. And probably if we did not have the recession that we have now, you know, we probably could have done that, but the economy is just not allowing us to do that. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the reality is we have not repriced these in a long time. All the services I use have gone up in cost uh, and all the products I've used. And at the same time, labor's gone up. And so there's there are economic forces that are probably going to continue. So you also have to ask the question of where will the economy be? not in January of 2023, where is it going to be in January 2024? And if you don't anticipate those, you're going to be constantly making changes to catch up. We're looking to avoid constant repricing and and continuing changes, even though at the end of the day, again, our mission is to remain viable and grow the access business. So we're going to do whatever it takes. But today we're announcing that we're reducing our investment in what we call free IRA, and we are going to be raising prices. But again, if you're someone who already uses IRA and you see a value there, you have the option to lock in the current pricing for all of 2023, which um, I hope you realize, you know, it's going to be the majority of our users, I think, in 2023 are going to come from those plans um, because they're going to carry them through. It's new to IRA, new subscribers who will be looking at the only option is the new 2023 pricing, which will be more expensive than the current retail plans. I take it that you would lock in the plan that you're on. In other words, if you're on the the bottom plan right now, and in Mm -hmm. 2023, you want to upgrade, you would have to upgrade to one of the newer plans, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So it's important for people to think about the minutes that they may want to use throughout 2023 and lock in the right plan. The other question I have for you is whether there will be more plans. We accept that they're more expensive in 2023, but there was some feeling that there was quite a big gap between the bottom plan and the middle plan. Are you still going to have three in 2023 or will there be more? So we're in that discussion. I've heard that feedback loud and clear, and there's not a large downside to us having more plans. Our goal is not to constrain you, right? There is a kind of a a human limit to, you know, if you present someone with a hundred plans, they're probably going to have to go away and think a long time. And I don't want to burden people with a ton of thought, right? So it's not going to be a hundred plans. It will all but likely be more than three. And we are looking 
to produce the right distribution in both cost and, and minutes so that most people are can find a plan that's suited to them. So yeah, we are we are looking at adding more plans. I'm all but short of committing to that, but you can hear in my voice and my thinking that that, that seems to make a lot of sense. Anybody who's run a business and has had to balance the books understands the imperative here. Uh, the business has to pay its way. Have you considered prepay minutes that could be purchased without having a plan? Because there are some people who genuinely can't afford this, but they would like to have a few IRA minutes in the bank mm -hmm. so that they could use those as required. Absolutely. That's another use case that we want to make sure is affordable, achievable. And so that is something you may see. I've heard that. And I should also say this, whatever we come out with on January 16th, we can always add and adjust. But you heard me before, I, I'm, I'm looking not to make so many adjustments that people get confused. But that is a, call it an insurance plan, call it a, you know, whatever you want to title it is, the, the idea that you can somehow prepay for some minutes, but you're not on a plan is one that I've heard. And, and our job is to, you know, listen to our customer and provide what they need. So at this point, since we haven't reconciled internally what those plans are, we're literally active work, actively working this every day. Those are some of the discussions we're, we're having and, and looking to make sure we give you the, the option you want at the price that, you know, we can both afford together. Right, because it's potentially revenue foregone right now, isn't it? If there are people who just will not make a monthly commitment, but they would happily hand over some money to you mm -hmm. for a bank of minutes, that's revenue foregone. Yep, it is. Yep. Okay. All right, let's talk about these legacy plans, some of which were incredibly generous. What are legacy plans for those who are not familiar with that term? So legacy plans are, by our definition, any plan that you can't buy today. So you're on a plan that was offered sometime before 2020, maybe stretching all the way back to IRA in 2015, 2016, 2017. And while we've changed our pricing and our packaging three years ago, at that time, we chose not to sunset those plans. Uh, and, and some of them were very generous. I mean, that was in a, in a phase of IRA where we were venture-backed. and <laughs> That unlimited <laughs> plan was glorious. glorious it, it, it was. was. <laughs> that, I have to comment on that one, too. That My former role was chief operating officer, and so I was very focused on economics and staffing and, and the operations of IRA. And that plan in particular was, was a fun one because we just didn't know what would happen. Like, what happens if you give folks the ability to buy unlimited? The hypothesis was that the average would settle out at a point and allow us to price it profitably. Where we ran into the challenge was it wasn't equitable. So you'd have some people use, uh, you know, I'm not going to use real numbers, but you'd have some people use, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of minutes a month, and you'd have some use, you know, hundreds yet they're all paying the same amount. And so unlimited is a great concept, but it, it, it doesn't meet that equitable portion. And so it, it was hard to justify paying, you know, having people all pay the same amount and then use such a wide variety. The second problem with that one is we do find people use Ira more and more the longer they are with it. It's not true in all cases. I think some people use it to learn or like, for example, specific to navigation, they'll learn, they'll use it to learn new things. And then they're given other tools, they're able to, to go on their own. And I think 
That is also true, but in general, people will use more over time. And so Unlimited is just a very interesting, extreme example of a plan. But yeah, there are lots of different plans out there that have far more minutes than current plans at the same price. And just to simplify our operations, frankly, we are moving to a fixed number of available plans starting in 2023. And those will either be the new ones we come up with that we explained will be more expensive, or it will be one of the three current plans that we offer today. And including, some folks may not know that you can buy a plan through your in-country community. So in, in the case of the US, you know, there's an ACB plan, there's an NFB plan. In, um, in other countries, we have similar plans in Canada, and you can purchase those. And those are also considered to be plans that we will retain if you're on that plan starting in 2023, so that we consider those also to be plans that you will be able to operate through 2023 if you're on them before January 16th. And we will be sending out lots of communications so that, and, and Janine can help me here describe how you figure out what plan you're on and how you're going to know, is that a plan that is going to continue if you're on it on January 16th? Despite all best efforts, someone for whatever reason is not going to hear the podcast, not going to receive the emails, not going to no. And um, unfortunately, there's going to kind of be a, a fairly firm line. So we're consistent that if you're on a legacy plan on January 17th, you'll no longer be in a paid plan. You'll be converted to a guest. And my, my hope is that there is nobody who is surprised by that. But equally, I, I just know, given the number of customers you have, like that's a, a real potential. So I thank you, Jonathan, for helping get the word out because... It's really Absolutely. about making sure the customer isn't surprised. How many customers are going to be affected by this? I don't know that I have that number at my fingertips. I want to say it's a big enough population that it is in the category of 10 to 20% of our user base. Wow. So they've clung on to those plans and they oh, yeah. could be quite significantly disrupted by this. I mean, the whole yes. way that they deal with life could, could change because of this. Yes. Yeah. And again, uh, my goal is that they, they can make a choice that best suits them and that, you know, they're not unconsciously opting to jump into a more expensive 2023 plan because they have been with us. That means a lot, I think, both from a company perspective, but just I really applaud our, our users. They've guided us to the product we have and we continue to grow. And I don't want to disincentivize those folks. We're going to do our best to communicate with all of them. Some of the uh, customers who are on those higher-level plans, there may not currently be an equivalent plan even on offer for them. And so the only way that they would be able to achieve something similar would be to go to that top tier and then keep buying add-on minutes. That could be a very significant price increase for some use cases. Yep, yep. We see that, and we understand that that will be a change. And also for those people who may be using those minutes for job activities or with an employer or whether they're a small business person, there may be other opportunities to make up for that particular piece of their minutes. Mm -hmm. So would you be able to provide some advocacy as it were if somebody comes to you and says, well, actually, I'm using this on my job, I'm really going to be significantly disadvantaged. Would you go into bat for that person and talk to the employer and try and secure Absolutely. an IRA access deal? 
I'm going to use these Absolutely. words. Hell yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. we, we, on, and I'll, I'll tell you two reasons why. One is, again, we're trying to be efficient with our resources. We have a small but powerful sales team. It's not hundreds of sales folks. It's not even tens of sales folks. So they have to be efficient with their time and invest their time in, in opportunities that are most likely to convert their time into a sale, right? That's, that's kind of sales 101. Anyone, like you said, who owns a business, or if you just think about how you spend your own time, you do it based on what's the likelihood of the outcome. Our best and most likely sales are driven when there is an individual, let's say in an employment setting, in an education setting, that is paying for IRA and can articulate the benefit or even lead us to the decision maker or the internal champion. And so we look forward to that call. We get a lot of inbound communication and we can describe that, but often we'll get literally that, hey, I'm at, you know, I'm employed by XYZ company. I use IRA. I hear that other employers are providing IRA. Can you help me? And we we jump on those. We we contact that individual. We provide them the information, but really we don't expect that individual to go make the sale. We're there to arm them with whatever information they think they need. But the minute we can identify a decision maker or someone who is in a position to make a decision or, or influence a decision, that's the job of the IRA sales team to then have the conversation, explain what it is, explain how it's delivered, the benefits. And yeah, absolutely. So IRA is a revolutionary product and watching it evolve has been fascinating. Where I'm going with this is that some people might argue, Troy, well, this plan that I'm on, this legacy plan that you're retiring, it's kind of like a loyalty discount because I stayed with you when the glasses mm -hmm. were there, when there mm -hmm. were really horrible crises in customer service, and we all mm -hmm. know about mm -hmm. that, um, <laughs> when there was an issue scaling and you know sometimes there were, weren't enough agents because you just learn over time how many people to roster on, all those things. And these customers have stayed loyal. They had to be loyal because the moment they let that plan drop for one second, they couldn't have had that plan anymore. So these customers have been a source, a constant source of revenue for a very long time. Isn't there a loyalty discount argument there? There is a loyalty. I think you just made it. One thing we looked at is to reprice everything starting 2023. So to not only discontinue the legacy plans, but discontinue the current plans. And so it's why we're giving folks a heads up, a form of a loyalty nod, like, hey, rather than just blindly reprice everyone into a, a new, more expensive plan, let's give all of our existing paid customers the ability to carry on in the current free commercial plans. We're also more fluid too, right, Troy? And being able to possibly work with a loyalty program that's going to work within our budget. Mm -hmm. In terms of those new plans, some people listening might say, look, I'll make the monthly commitment. But what I would really like is to be assured that the minutes I buy every month are my minutes to use. In other words, let them roll over, let them accumulate. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you are considering? Because this one keeps coming up, doesn't it? The old rollover oh, minutes yes. argument. It, it does. We started with two models that ultimately did not work well for either the Explorer or Ira. The first one when we came out was you just buy a block of minutes. And when you run out, you buy more. So by definition, roll over, if you will. 
And maybe we should retest this, but what would happen is people would sign up. They love the idea. They'd purchase a bunch of minutes and then they wouldn't use the minutes. And we go back to them and, you know, we were small enough. We literally knew every customer like, well, why haven't you used service? Well, the answer was, well, I don't know when my biggest need will be. I'm, I'm not yet sure what to use it for. And I think I'll try it when I really have something that warrants me using the service. And then over time, it wasn't spreading. Then people were not learning how to use Ira. And we got some advice from other folks, you know, whether it's AT&T or other folks that are in, quote, subscription business. They're like, the whole point of a subscription is to provide something that, you know, you consume every month, like whether it's the Times or you know, your content media, and then you renew and you're basically looking to reestablish that commitment that you're providing the right service on a on an ongoing basis. So one answer on that model was it didn't cause people to try and explore new behavior with Ira. Now maybe that's changed. Um, and that's, that's a good thing I'll think about. The next one was rollover. So rollover was really interesting, Jonathan, that it seemed like simple enough to roll over minutes. But what instead happened is there was both confusion over when I got my bill or I looked at my usage tab or I evaluated how many minutes I had rolled over, there was a lot of confusion. People were spending a ton of time either calling support or adding up or keeping spreadsheets on double checking the math. And and we had add-on minutes. And so they're like, well, my add-on minutes and my credit minutes and my rollover minutes, it was just very confusing. And so we spent almost more money in customer care, customer support calls, trying to field the questions about rollover. So I think there's some other models out there that we might explore. You might not see them right off the bat in 2023 that, that provide that, um, that same concept. If you look at what a lot of airline companies do with points, there's kind of a rollover that um, occurs, but at the end of the year, things don't roll over or where the frequency maybe of rollover, like the the timing or the percent of the the minutes that roll over change. Because I can tell you at a certain level, we do price that in. So if we did have to provide the service and the complete amount of minutes associated with the account, and we're still going to remain sustainable, we have to kind of account for those minutes as well. Where in fact today, we know, we know. So just to be blunt about it, like I know that not everyone is going to use 100% of their minutes. Makes sense. I don't use 100% of my data plan on my mobile. Um, I'm paying for a certain limit and the companies that provide those services factor those into their pricing. We do as well. And so I think that's a tricky one that I'll be honest, we we haven't thought of the right model that allows you to not feel as though you're being gypped or somehow underutilizing minutes you've paid for while equally not putting you into a mindset that I can hold on to these forever and therefore I'm going to wait for the most extreme need because when that happens, you know, I talked to a lot of folks and you know, they, they end up almost, they, they defer kind of this feeling of, I, I'm not making the most use of it because I go, oh, I wish I would have, I wish I would have used it last month. So it's a lot of words to say, I recognize that there is that feeling and it's real, right? I get it. And we're going to do some thinking on how best to avoid that belief that somehow you're not getting your full value, right? Because I, I do get it. And I think, too, Troy, what will help with that is having more than the three plans we have now. More choices yeah. for people. Yeah, where the gap between... them. Yeah, that gap, it can be very large given we only have three plans. Yep. Mm. You're mm-hmm. going to be implementing these new plans on January the 16th. When will you announce what those plans are? 
We are looking at the first week in January, either the second or the third. We don't want to do it on Monday. <laughs> That's not the way we want to start the new year. So it'll probably be on the third, which I believe is a Tuesday. Uh, but it will be sometime in that first week in January. So we're giving people two mm-hmm. weeks to kind of absorb and take a look at, either keep what they have. If they are leaving one of the legacy plans, they will get their remaining minutes from that month's legacy plan as add-on minutes. And uh, a letter went out to our legacy customers talking about your plan and what plan you have. And if you're not sure, you're thinking, oh, I don't even know what plan I have. Again, you can go to that usage tab. It's the very first thing at the top of the screen. It will tell you what plan you have. And if you want to read more about legacy plans, about the current retail plans that we have, you can go to ira.io slash newsroom, and we have kind of a quick start guide there. And there's a link there to a much more um, pedantic article all about legacy plans and retail plans and anything you want to know but the new pricing. It's another reason we are making the change to the free frequency, the, the guest and the paid. We know that some users use a lot of the free. And I think when thinking about what plan do I need, um, not everyone is conscious about, especially subscribers, about the free minutes they're using. So I know some people might go, oh, you're just doing that to save money sooner. There, We did put some thinking into it going, you know, it's in the best interest of the Explorer to adjust to what it looks like with the new investment in free versus the old, which was certainly more generous starting next week. So you'll also get to experience that directly as an individual. And then as Janine just said, the the new plans will be announced in that first couple days of January, well before the cutoff date is for adopting a retail plan through 2023. And just before we wrap, let's talk a bit, if we could, about the web interface for Ira and how that's being received. Uh, It's something that I'm finding very convenient. I guess the feedback's been positive about that. (laughs) I I was about to turn it over to you and and you tell me, but uh, no, I think, (laughs) you know, we have such tremendous access to data. When I talk to new potential access partners, employers, that's one of the questions, well, what do people use it for? Well, a third of our calls is related to someone sitting at their computer looking to get a task done. It's it's almost twice as much in minutes and calls as what you might call navigation. So even though that is a killer use case for many, navigation in an airport and all that, like everyone votes with their time and where, where the vote goes is a third of it is what we call computer or online. And so that's why we chose to make a web interface because folks are saying it's tedious to pick up the phone and to go through all the exercise to communicate with the agent when in fact there's plenty of programs that connect two people over the internet like Meet, Google Meet or Zoom or whatever. So that's why we did it. And I would say it's been well received and we are currently continuing to add functionality to bring it up on par with our mobile app in terms of features. So for example, I know it's coming. I don't know what we've announced, but we're going to do it anyway. We're we're marching towards the end of the year when the desktop will have all the same capabilities as the mobile app. Most recently, I think we've been working on the access profile so that if you're someone who can use Ira at their job at a university, you can switch between profiles. I think the one piece that we're still working on is how do we deliver a great 
access experience? How do you choose between the promotions that aren't geolocated, right? They're just straight up promotions like the JAWS offer. How can you select that without telling the agent at the start of the call? How can you shop, find, and then apply those before you start the call? We're working on that. But overall, the feedback's been great. And one more thing, because I love to talk about product, is as we've always said, this new platform, this new app, if you will, the desktop is not just for the web only. It's also our new mobile experience. So we have in beta test right now with a subset of explorers, the IRA mobile app. So for iOS, for Android is the very same experience that the desktop is. So there will be no more of this differentiation between Android and iOS. So today, the commercial Android and iOS app behave slightly different, right? There's just differences. In some cases, I think the iOS app has a few more features than Android, maybe one or two. So so we're going to a unified platform that is going to allow us to be more efficient. So again, we're looking to do the best with our resources as we can, whether that's how we invest in free, but also how we invest in our technology. And so it's a long way of saying that desktop is going great. We're seeing increased adoption, but it's also paving the way to produce a common experience that uh, suits everyone. So to a voiceover user, is that new app going to look and feel like a native app or is it going to look and feel like the web? Absolutely. And the example, the best example of it, Jonathan, is the app that we have running right now on the Blind Shell Classic 2 phone. That's the exact app. Well, as close as, you know, we're going to okay. get it, I'm right. sure. But that's what you're going to see on your iOS device or your Android device. And it is going to look very much like a standard iOS slash Android app rather than yeah. a website that is performing those things. But just to be, yeah, maybe 100% clear to maybe start, it is a native app. It's not an app that happens to launch a browser. It's a true native app with buttons, with links, with titles with, you know, conscious choices about the order in which we are providing menu options and and all that. And we have a very dedicated team is looking at a lot of nuance and detail to make sure that not only is it accessible, but it's usable. And then that usability is, as you would expect with any other highly accessible app on your platform, you know, so that's our commitment to all of you is like, we will never give up. <laughs> we will never surrender. We will never give up on improving that experience and making sure that it's the very best and the, a great example of an accessible app um, that goes beyond just, you know, the, the, the accessibility standards. Yeah, I, I have to laugh because one thing that I, I think our whole engineering team, we all agreed on was accessibility doesn't have to be boring. We can be really cool and be a perfectly accessible mm-hmm. and we want to mm-hmm. be able to show people that very cool when i use ira one of the things i really appreciate is if i'm in a bind and something just has to get done i can have an agent remote into my machine and help me sort mm-hmm. of capture or do something like that i kind of feel like it's a blast from the past because ira is the only reason why i keep team around on my machine now I'm using RIM all the time, which is such a much more accessible, pleasant Mm -hmm. way to go. Will we see RIM integrated with IRA at any point? I think I've been pretty vocal that I'm not 100% happy with TeamViewer. It's not a fully accessible app, and it's why we, was it four months ago, five months ago, we added both Microsoft Quick Assist, which is built-in native app into Windows, and we added 
Chrome remote desktop as alternatives. I don't think the uptake has been there because I know most people think that TeamViewer is the only option. So the first thing I just want to make sure we're all clear on today, you have three options. Right. So if you're on Windows, you have three options. If you're on the Mac, you have two. Now you're talking about a a fourth, which is RIM. But Mm -hmm. Jonathan, have you tried Chrome? Are you Mac or Windows? I am Windows. Okay. Did you know you could use Microsoft Quick Assist or Chrome Remote Desktop? I think I knew it once, but I have forgotten. Is there documentation yeah, on hard that? To, yeah. Yep, actually it is. There and you go. You I should ask. Read, that, the, manual. Yep. Read the fine manual. Exactly. RTM. Yes. <laughs> well, it's also... It's Whichever a, it's you a, not, like. But. Yeah. I mean, this. it's also, again, thank you for having us on. It's um, communicating and, and sharing IRA. Like, that's our job, right? Not. It's not... Yep your job it's not the explorer's job like it's but but certainly being on a podcast like this allows us to bring up these changes because people you know you start using and it's not even just i like the apps i use they add new functionality and if i'm not paying attention and i'm not curious i don't find it and our agents are not trained we don't think of them as um they're not there to train you so if you call and say i want to do a team viewer session they're going to do a team viewer session right we thought about adding to that like oh did you know you could instead do x or y but they are really just trained to get right onto the job and with minutes and seconds being so precious you know it's kind of that trade-off on time and, and money and and it may be where we use some of our investment in free ira to sponsor some of those things in the future we'll see but yeah today just to be clear you can use chrome and windows and the beauty of those two solutions is they are fully accessible. You got trillion dollar companies or whatever you want to, you know, companies with large accessibility budgets and people who want to get it right invested in those apps. The advantage of Quick Assist is it's built into the operating system. So depending on what version of Windows you run, et cetera, you don't even have anything extra to install. Right. It's just there. Chrome Remote Desktop is as easy or I've been told an easier solution to install than compared to TeamViewer. So I want to be clear on that. So RIM is one that I think you brought up. It's a little hard for me to evaluate, for us to evaluate. You know, we only have so many engineering cycles. And until I get a little more feedback on Windows and Chrome, which are, by the way, free for Ira, free for you to use mm. and accessible, RIM would be an investment in engineering. And also, you know, I believe they have a, a paid solution, which if it's a great solution, then Ira or someone should pay for it. I'm not disagreeing with that. Yes, it would it would require Ira to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So then we're back to this conversation about like where do we invest our dollars? And I'm not trading these off, but it, they're at some level they trade off in a balance sheet. Like, do we pay for an alternative to TeamViewer, or do we? What I propose, or where we're headed at the moment, is like a given it costs money to, for example, integrate something like Rim. We pay license fees. Let's first see what the new alternative is and until maybe we get a little more adoption to find out if that's not fully meeting the needs of folks. Those kind of investments are what I call on the backlog, right, to be determined um, across all features. Like I think another one we're all getting excited about and probably the topic of a future podcast in 2023, but we are really anticipating getting excited about what we've talked about in the past, which is call management, where, you know, we've talked about, like, can I schedule an agent or can the app call me back when the agent is ready so I don't have to wait on hold? Or can I seamlessly 
transition from one agent to another in a way that is even more efficient than today. And so all of those kind of things have to get traded off with other investments, and we're just trying to make the, the best choices. So hopefully that answered the question on RIM, but I would encourage anyone to go either Google IRA slash Chrome Remote Desktop or IRA Microsoft Quick Assist. I think that's yep. one way you can hit those. I'll give those. you an even better way to do it. Yeah. We have this great little search thing on our website right up at the top. There's a little uh, bar that you can click on that will expand into a search box. And you just type in remote in there. And it will take you to the ah. web page that talks about all of those yeah. things, which is ira.io slash desktop. And one final question. The Envision Glasses, it's generated a lot of excitement, the fact that glasses are back yeah. in some form with Ira. Mm -hmm. And when I did the review and I talked to one of the many Catholics at uh, Envision, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they're making the point that there might be some work ongoing optimizing the video feed. Anything to add there in terms of the quality of the video feed coming to agents? I don't have anything to report on the video feed. We should ask them again. We had Karthik, the CTO, on our last Explorer call, which, uh, you know, is recorded. Correct, Janine, so you could always listen to yep. it in more detail. Yep. But he gave us an update on what they'd been working on in response to feedback from our combined customers. And one thing they had done is improve the quality of the image. Right. Right. So as most people who use Ira probably know, the video feed is a continual set of frames or like lots of pictures. And the resolution of that is at a lower bandwidth because we're conserving bandwidth or we're appropriately using bandwidth. But sometimes you need a detailed view of something and um, the agent has the ability with your consent to take an image capture of what's on your camera sensor, what, what, what you're pointed at that's in high resolution. And Envision up until I think their current release didn't have that capability. It was just a video grab. So I know they improved the image capture, which agents use quite a bit, you know, on an ongoing basis. And then you can also make use of if you want the agent to take an image of whatever you want, they'll not only take that and save it to your personal photo storage, but will also um, describe it for you so that whether the title of the file or what's in the image. So that got better. I don't have an update on the video. I don't know what all they have at their fingertips, even though Ira used to build its own version. I know that there is a limitation or can be a limitation in the hardware and software that is on Google Glass. But what I don't know is if they're working on that. They also, if you listen up to that recording, they are working on or they're looking at ways to stream the location of Really the phone, having the agent know where you are so they can look at a moving map if you're outdoors is, is very helpful. Mm. And, and everyone knows that. Um, the dilemma with uh, Envision Glass is that hardware doesn't have a GPS sensor. So instead, they need to send us, and, and they're looking at a way to send us the GPS coordinates that are on the phone We've got a couple in combination. So, on that will be yeah. coming up so that, in a, that, in that's the one I think they're episode. looking at. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very good. Well, we've uh, communicated a lot of information today. The best place to go would be just the main IRA website, I take it, for further information as these new prices come down. And if anybody has any questions, is the toll-free number the best place to call? 
Absolutely, yes. And people can email if it's inconvenient to call. They can email support at ira.io, and our customer care team will, if they can't answer your question, which is highly unusual, but uh, if they can't, they will get it to one of us who can. Thank you both for coming on the podcast. I appreciate that. There's a lot of change happening, and uh, we'll keep in touch in the future, I'm sure. Thank you, Jonathan. It's always a pleasure to be on, on with you, and you ask you know, really great questions and you give really great suggestions. So it's always uh, a huge value uh, for me personally. And I think for Ira as well. Now there's quite a lot to explore if I may use that term with Ira. And one thing we did not cover that I just want to mention for completeness is that there is a change to their job seeker program. Starting this Monday, the 5th of December, you'll be limited to 30 minutes per day, one 30 minute call per day. And Ira says they are seeking sponsorship for that job seeker program, similar to the way that Intuit sponsors the small business program at the moment. We'd like to know what you think, whether you're an existing subscriber or whether you've been using the free offering. Let me know whether you think these changes are fair and reasonable to keep Ira sustainable. 864-60-MOSIN is my number. If you want to give me a phone call, that's in the United States. You can also record an audio message and attach that to an email or just write the email down if you prefer. And you can send it in to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Your perspective is, of course, always welcome. Mosin at Large Podcast. In last week's episode of the podcast, I talked about why, in my view, it is essential that blind people get behind, not just Mastodon, but the open protocols, particularly ActivityPub, that power various Fediverse applications. There's a whole suite of them out there. Twitter is getting worse and worse. The so-called free speech absolutism that its owner advocates for, unless it's speech he doesn't agree with, of course, really is doing a lot of harm. And here in New Zealand, one of the most striking examples of this is the fact that videos of the terrorist attack on two mosques in Christchurch here in New Zealand that occurred on the 15th of March 2019 are surfacing on Twitter. And if that's what free speech absolutism is about, then, as was it Groucho Marx said, include me out. And as I said in episode 206, with the firing of every single member of Twitter's accessibility team, the chances are very good that rocky terrain is ahead, and we seem to have hit some of that already. I am told by several reliable sources that if you, as a blind person, try to sign up with Twitter today, you cannot do that without sighted assistance. You get to a capture, and there is an audio option in that capture, which of course is no good for deafblind people. There are better ways of handling this. But even if you can manage those audio captures, it breaks. You cannot proceed. I understand there's quite a severe lockup for some people when they try to access that capture. So you could use something like Ira or obtain sighted assistance, but you cannot independently at the time of this recording sign up for a new Twitter account. And I think you'll find that as new things roll out, assuming they are actually capable of rolling out new things, this is likely to get worse. So if I might use a bird analogy in this context, people are flocking from Twitter under the circs. That's understandable. I'm following this account on Mastodon where every hour they send some stats on how many people have signed up that hour and in the last 24 hours. And what I'm seeing is that on average, 
between about 50 and 60,000 new accounts are being created on Mastodon every hour. So it's settled into a pretty steady stream at the moment. And then sometimes when Elon Musk does something particularly absurd, there's a massive spike and then it settles down to this pretty steady 50 to 60,000 new accounts an hour now. So we are starting to reach the real possibility of critical mass on Mastodon. That was one of the biggest criticisms that I noted back in episode 206, that it doesn't matter how good the platform is if people you want to communicate with and hear from are not there. But increasingly, they are there. And you're seeing the same sort of trend with Mastodon that we saw on Twitter at the beginning, which is that people with a bit of a technology bent go there first, and then it reaches that technological critical mass and others follow. But even now, we are seeing certain companies, certain politicians, people of that nature already starting to come to Mastodon. Not everybody's going to Mastodon, though. And one of the options that some are pursuing is this new social network that's been set up by an entrepreneur to capitalize on Twitter's problems, and it is simply called Post. Now, one of the interesting things about Post in the last week is that they've been under some pressure to make their service accessible. And the founder of Post published an article in which he stated that accessibility isn't a priority. They want to build the service, and then maybe at some future undetermined point, they will get around, possibly, maybe, to accessibility. And this is why I am so passionate about blind people embracing open protocols, because you could not have a situation like that going on with Mastodon or any Fediverse application. Because the protocols are open, they're published. Any app developer who wants to can write an accessible way into the service, not just for blind people, but for people who use a range of assistive technologies. So this is our moment. This is our opportunity to take social media back. And the way that we do that is to be the change that we want to see. The way we do that is to embrace Mastodon, which, like any platform, is not perfect. There's scope for development. But the good thing is we can all develop it together if we're a part of the solution. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. Look at Elon Musk. We have seen what happens when we allow a couple of very wealthy people to take control of our town squares. It is not healthy. It is exploitative. It is socially destructive. And we can do it better this time by embracing technologies like Mastodon. So the power is in our hands to claim our content back, our public discourse back, our civil discourse back. And you look at what's happening with this post thing, and we should be all saying, hell no, we're not going to let some other person decide that we don't matter, that accessibility doesn't count, that this wealthy individual can make a decision that locks us out. So I take great pleasure in opening my Mastodon client, and I'm playing with a couple actually, just working out which one is best for me. But I open a Mastodon client in the morning and I see new followers, names from the blind community that I'm familiar with, and it gladdens my heart. We are taking social media back. The quality of the dialogue is so much better. It's not toxic like it was on Twitter. It's a very positive thing. And if you're not there yet, I hope you'll join us, especially in time 
to participate in the Mushroom FM holiday countdown and Christmas party on the 17th. Now here's Robert Kinjit who says, Hello Mushroom and Mosin at Large listeners. It is absolutely wonderful the blind community is finally embracing the Fediverse. I'd like to highlight some tips that will possibly enhance your use of the Fediverse. If you come across an image without descriptions, be sure to include the hashtag alt for me and that is alt, A-L-T, the number four, and then me, to request image descriptions from the community. Follow the alt for you, that's alt and then the number four and Y-O-U hashtag to see what descriptions others have contributed. If you're adventurous and are trying out Peertube, the YouTube of the Fediverse, and Funk Whale, the SoundCloud of the Fediverse, you can subscribe to channels on either platform in your favorite podcast app of choice. Subscribe via RSS and you can listen the same way you would podcasts. Same with Castopod, the podcast branch of the Fediverse. Lastly, if you're new and struggling to find people, I'd follow hashtags instead of people. Your timeline will explode with all sorts of interesting people. Thanks, Robert. It's good to see that the Fediverse embraces RSS so much. This actually applies to Mastodon as well. So if there's someone whose post you never want to miss, and it's possible that you might want to do this with the Mosin at Large feed, if you're a user of RSS, and I highly recommend RSS technology to easily keep up with a range of websites in one accessible place, you can simply add .rss to the end of someone's Mastodon instance URL. So, for example, you could go to mstdn.social slash at mosinatlarge.rss, and then you can subscribe to the RSS feed of the Mosin at Large timeline in your app. Hello, Jonathan from Michael Anawit, a blind pianist listener of yours in Toronto. I listened to your podcast, episode 206, and managed to sign up to a Mastodon instance, piano.masto.host, and downloaded the Tweezcake app, but I've been failing getting them to work together. It's important for me to use a desktop app for social media so I can most easily copy and paste info about my musical activities I'll be posting. Here's what I've tried. Maybe you can tell me what, if anything, I might have done wrong. In Tweezcake, I navigated to starting a Mastodon session, tabbed once to OK. Then I changed the tweezcake.social ending of the URL it seems to be defaulting to, to my instance, pianomasto.host. This brings me to a Microsoft Edge window saying authorization required. I assume this is a window of the Mastodon instance I'm signed up with. I navigate to authorize, then it gives me the authorization code. I have then tried both tabbing to and pressing the copy button or selecting the code and copying it. Either way, I next alt tab and I think I am back in Tweezcake. I hear JAWS say, auth code. I paste in what I think is the code and tab to OK and press enter. Sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes I get login failed and a long string of words, including mastered on API returned error 400 bad request. 
It then sends me back to the instance window with the same authorization required dialog where I had just been. Do you have any guidance for me as to what I should try next? Michael, it sounds like you are doing everything right from what I can tell. It is a long string of characters with Mastodon for security, so it's not a simple series of digits like it used to be on Twitter. But if you're copying that to the clipboard with the copy button and then pasting it into the Tweezcake window, it should authorize. You might like to see if the Tweezcake developers have any thoughts for you. I'm wondering if it works. I know you want to use a PC client, but if you have a smartphone, does it work on your smartphone? Because at least then we'd be defining the problem a bit. We'd know whether this was a Tweezcake-specific issue or something with third-party apps and that instance. I know you want to be on that instance, and given your interests and your profession, I understand why, but it might be worth trying another one just to see if you can get it to work. You could, for example, set up an account on Tweezcake.social. What I can say is I have now authorized with four different (laughs) Mastodon servers and I haven't had this problem. So I don't think Tweezcake is at fault. It may just be something related to that particular instance. Michael continues, some other random questions if you have time that I have not been able to figure out yet are, I think I might have once gone into invisible mode in Tweezcake, but now the UI seems back. Is there a command to toggle between the two? There certainly is, Michael. Control, Windows, and W is that keystroke. Is there a way I can change the default Mastodon instance away from tweezcake.social? Yes, you're doing it the right way. It's just putting it in there by default, and that makes sense because Tweezcake's Mastodon instance would be a logical default. And one of the big challenges that people seem to have is picking an instance. And you get, as is often the case, a lot of misinformation being spread on Twitter that somehow instances can't talk to other instances. And this causes people to get into major angst about choosing their instance. So just to make it easy, tweezcake.social is the default. But you're doing it the right way. You're just clearing it and writing in the instance that you want to join. I tried, says Michael, navigating around Mastodon a little directly using only my web browser and was not able to execute a search or more accurately, I could never find any search results on the page after I pressed the tab button. The local feed seemed to have an unfortunate amount of commercial content. So obviously I need to do a search and to follow people. If you have any tips for what works for a search string and how to navigate to the search results, thanks. Well, Michael, it sounds like this might not be the best Mastodon instance because it's very rare for Mastodon instances to be packed with commercial content that is usually frowned upon. But what you can do is you can either type in the username without the at sign at the beginning if you know the specific username of somebody, or you can just type in their name. You can also search on hashtags. So write the number sign and then the string you're searching for, and that will usually deliver results as well. In Mastodon 4, you can now follow hashtags. Some instances are not using Mastodon 4 yet, so you won't find that follow option everywhere. Also, says Michael, naturally, if anyone has written this up online already, please let me know, but I am not finding anything to help beginners on the internet yet, and the Tweezcake documentation seems very minimal, unless I missed something. 
Thanks in advance if you are able to help, and I think you are doing the right thing advocating for this open-source, decentralized social media platform. Thank you, Michael. Best of luck with it. I'm sorry you're having that frustration. I do wonder if another instance might help. And yeah, I think it's fair to say that the Tweezcake support is a work in progress and they are volunteers. They're not charging for this app at this point and they've done a great job with improving it. But I think the migration, this mass influx uh, into Mastodon or the outflux is outflux a word from Twitter really caught people on the hop and so a lot of app developers have kicked into gear trying to respond to this but another thing you may also like to try is since you've got this account on the instance maybe try using Pinafore now if Tweezcake's having trouble authenticating as a third-party app it's possible that Pinafore will have the same problem but Pinafore is an alternative web interface, as we mentioned in episode 206, and it is very accessible. It's even more accessible now than it was in episode 206 because developers are actively working on accessibility, and a lot of people speak very highly of Pinafore. So you may like to try that. You just go to pinafore.social and enter your login credentials from the instance you've chosen and see how you get on there. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at M-O-S-E-N dot Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. As is often the case, we're spending time talking about iOS and Carlotto follows up on a contribution that he made last week. He says, hi, I listened to the latest episode and heard that you were of the impression that the VO focus issue came with iOS 16. The iPhone 12 mini that I used for the demo recording is running iOS 15.6.1, so it's been present for quite a while. You probably haven't bumped into it because your iPhone 12 Pro is fast enough so you don't encounter the problem. When installing iOS 16, your iPhone became a little more sluggish, and then you saw the problem. Thanks, Carlotto. I have never seen this problem It's other listeners who are reporting it. And when it was first reported, I pointed out that I've just not seen this. And that's not to say that I doubt for a moment that it's happening because too many people are reporting it. But I just haven't seen it for whatever reason. And of course, these days I'm rocking my iPhone 14 Pro Max. And an email from Louis, he writes, Hello, Jonathan. In Mosin at Large show 208, there was a discussion on whether for iOS 16.1.1, Siri could understand commands as well as it did in the past. For my SE2020, I found that after you held down the home button, that it was necessary to wait two seconds before speaking your command. If you wait for this time, Siri will hear you as well as it did in the past. It seems that Siri needs two seconds to start listening. I always learn new things from your show, says Louis. Thank you for writing in, Louis. Somebody was talking about this earlier, and if I'm remembering correctly, it was Joe Norton, and he suggested the very same thing. And he attributed the need to pause to the new tone which sustains a bit longer than the old tone when you invoke Siri. And I was having this problem, first of all, in iOS 15, before they changed the Siri invocation sound. 
So I don't think the tone has anything to do with it, but you may be right, having experimented a bit, that pausing still helps. One I found is that just using the H-E-Y Siri command is just a whole lot more reliable these days, and that sometimes holding down the side button doesn't invoke Siri properly, it gets into a weird state, and it really has deteriorated. So where possible, I just use the H-E-Y Siri command whenever I can. Pam McNeil is back, also following up from her comments in episode 208. She says, hi, Jonathan, I found myself bookmarking heaps from today's program to note later as I was awake at 5 a.m. and listened to the newly downloaded Mosin at Large podcast. Just a quick note, re my iPhone issues. I have checked iCloud and I am definitely signed in. When I checked the storage, I found that I am only using a mere 35.1 gigabytes out of a total of 128 gigabytes. So I have plenty of storage to play around with. Thanks so much for the advice, Recard Hop. I have installed the free version at present while I work out if I need the paid features. I might demonstrate Card Hop at some point because it's a really good app. Pam also says, thanks also for the tips on Alt with Q. This, of course, was in the context of Office 365, which I didn't know about and have also used to turn the annoying autocorrect features off. I agree that the new voices available in iOS are great. Now, all I need is to be able to install the voices for my favorite TV and radio actors, which will be awesome. Hi, Jonathan. This is Catherine from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I love your show. I'd like to share a guide dog refusal story with a happy ending. My friend and I, a few years back, went to a restaurant that I had been to previously, but it had been a few years since then, so it was under new management. So my friend and I and my guide dog came into the restaurant, and the host told us that we couldn't come in, no pets allowed, et cetera, et cetera. I explained that this was a service dog, not a pet, and and what he did for his service, and still no entry into the restaurant, we were ushered into a waiting area for about five minutes or so, five or 10 minutes. And then I I was thinking maybe he's checking with his supervisor. Eventually with nothing going on, I went back into the main area of the restaurant and continued the discussion. And I tried to be as conciliatory as I could and saying, you know, I'd, I'd really hate to call the police. That would be a shame. I had explained all about the Americans with Disabilities Act and um, made it clear that I didn't want to do this, but that I would if necessary. And, and I still wasn't permitted to enter. And then finally, I tried a new track tack. I said, well, gosh, I'd hate to write a bad review for you all on Yelp. That would just really be a shame. And we were admitted immediately um, <clears throat> in a table in the main restaurant. We weren't hidden away or anything like that. And they even brought us extra food, uh, not for the guide dog, obviously, but for us. So I was just really happy to tell people at that point that they should eat at that restaurant, that we had gotten good service, and it was a happy ending. Thanks. Have a great day. (laughs) Sometimes it's a matter of knowing which button to push, right, Catherine? And you found the right button. But that is a reminder to all of us that if we are refused at these places, then there is Yelp. In the case of hotels, there is TripAdvisor. And no doubt if the hotel that gave us all the grief, but then ultimately were profusely apologetic earlier in the year, had not been profusely apologetic, 
We would have done that. We would have put a review on TripAdvisor or whatever to let people know. So that is power that we have as consumers. So that's a great story. Charlene Ota is writing in. Good to hear from you, Charlene. She says, hi, Jonathan. Always appreciate your podcast. Thank you. I have found your interview with Johnny Cassidy particularly interesting. Seems like the BBC has several blind journalists. There was a story done by someone from the BBC recently about the Envision glasses. Yes, that was Gary O'Donoghue who did that. And there have been other stories in the past that I can't think of at the moment. But maybe the BBC is a little more up and coming than we are in the US when it comes to hiring blind journalists. I like to listen to the BBC because I often learn about things that happen here in the United States that don't even get mentioned in our news. News coverage is oftentimes just more interesting and in-depth too. Probably the closest thing we have here is NPR. Thanks, Charlene. Yes, I think that's right. Although, of course, with NPR, you have those sponsorship messages to sit through, which over the years seem to have become more and more like regular commercials, to be honest. And here's Linda McLeod writing in. She says, Hi, Jonathan. I listened to your interview with BBC journalist Johnny Cassidy with interest. I am an avid reader of the news. And as my vision continues to deteriorate, I have found myself having to have the articles read to me more and more. I have on my phone the apps provided by the Associated Press, Washington Post, New York Times, and my local paper, the San Jose Mercury News. We pay a monthly fee for all of the foregoing, except for the Associated Press. The most accessible app is provided by the Washington Post, which provides refreshingly large font and, more importantly, a specific option to listen to each article individually without interruption. Although it does not describe the photographs with the articles, it does introduce the journalists authoring the article and even provides two voices to choose from. Also providing a listening option is my local paper, although that option is less optimal as it simply reads the screen in one of the robotic voices. The New York Times, however, really does not provide any accessibility with their app Yes, I can use VoiceOver or do a two-finger swipe down to read the screen, but VoiceOver requires constant swiping, and the two-finger swipe down reads every advertisement and lists the titles of what the NYT deems to be related articles that interrupt the flow of the articles. Even their larger font size is so small that I can barely read it with a magnifier. It really isn't large at all. So my ability to enjoy reading the New York Times is severely limited, even though we pay $17.99 per month for the subscription, far and away the most expensive newspaper subscription we have. When the NYT started pushing another subscription option, I finally called the New York Times customer service number and I asked if the expanded NYT subscription would be providing an audio option embedded within the app that allows readers to hear the articles. After checking with her supervisor, the customer services representative stated that the only thing that was available for people like me was a separate app unaffiliated with the New York Times called Audem, that's spelt A-U-D-M, which purportedly provides a number of other newspapers and magazines in audio format. 
After some questioning, it was disclosed that I would have to pay an additional $4.99 for this app. I was told that if I wanted to complain, I should email customer service and provide specific information about my account and which subscription I had. I have not yet complained further to the New York Times regarding their lack of an audio option on their app, partly because I do not know the legal obligations of newspapers to provide such a service. But I find it quite shocking that in this day and age, one of the most respected newspapers in the world do not provide such a basic feature to not just its blind readers, but millions of senior readers who would most appreciate such an option as their vision deteriorates as they get older. Johnny's comment that news outlets, quote, have come a long way, unquote, in providing accessibility does not seem to apply to the New York Times. I would love to hear whether I am the only one who is frustrated with the New York Times in this regard. I also would love to know what other news apps your readers use that provide an audio option for its content. Finally, I would like to know if you or any of your readers are familiar with the Autumn app, what its features are, and whether it is worth the extra $5 per month. Thank you, Jonathan, as always, for your wonderful podcast, says Linda. Thank you for writing in, Linda. The first thing I would ask is whether you know about NFB Newsline in the United States, because if you are a voracious consumer of news, NFB Newsline may be a service that you would love to sign up to. It's available to the blind community, and I think legal blindness is the criteria for entry. I'm sure someone from NFB will chime in and correct me if I'm wrong about that. But the upshot of it is that it is a service that aggregates a very large number of newspapers, including all the big ones, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and right down to local newspapers, news sources from around the world, and also some of the blindness-related publications. Now, you can engage with NFB Newsline over the phone if you want to, using a touch-tone telephone. The newspapers are not read by human voice, but they are read by very high-quality text-to-speech. Or there is an app that you can download. There is a skill for your Amazon device, which you can use as well. Obviously, that's also using text-to-speech So you can engage with the NFB Newsline content in a raft of ways. It is free to register and free to use once you have an account on there. So you may already know about it, but if you don't, I think you would love NFB Newsline. It's been around since the mid-1990s, and it is a brilliant service. Now, going back to the mainstream apps, yeah, I don't mind, obviously, as a totally blind person using voiceover, But I completely take the point about how frustrating it can be when you're reading an article and there's this bevy of unrelated information. Well, they think it's related, but all we really want to do is read the article. And as a sighted person, you can quickly skim the stuff about related articles and ads and all those sorts of things. It's much harder to do that when you're using text-to-speech or Braille. If you are using the web, then you do have reader mode in Safari, which does cut out a lot of that stuff. But in the apps, it can be more problematic. I did take a look at the AUDM app in the App Store here in New Zealand. It is present, and I downloaded it. And when I did download it, it turned into an app called Story Shots. And I was able to register an account using my Apple ID, and it wanted me to upgrade. But there's also a free version, which I think has ads and a smaller selection of articles. 
but I wasn't actually able to get anything to play. I wasn't able to find any articles. It looked like something on the screen was preventing voiceover from seeing everything. There was a fully accessible tab strip at the bottom, so it looks like they may know about voiceover, but I just couldn't get it to work. Now, it may be that it, had I persisted with it a bit longer, it might have. So if anyone has used this AUDM app that now seems to be called Story Shots when you download and install it, please let us know how you are getting on with that. And this just goes to show that accessibility is a very broad thing. You make a very important point, Linda, when you talk about the number of elderly people whose vision is deteriorating, who don't really consider themselves part of the blind community, but want to keep up with their news. And being able to do that is so important. In fact, when I worked a long time ago in the rehab field, in the blindness space, what I found was that a lot of elderly people finally came for service from a blindness organization when they got to the point that they couldn't read their newspaper anymore. Access to the daily news is just so important for many people. And so it is critical that these apps and services are as accessible as possible. We did have, a while ago now in Mosin at Large, a look at some news apps that did read audio and some were more accessible than others. And of course, this field is forever changing. So the situation then may not apply now. So if anyone wants to comment on this, please feel free. I know Linda and others would be interested. In the meantime, Linda, if you've not checked out NFB Newsline, I would encourage you to do that. NFBnewsline.org is the website. And I'm sure if you Google on NFB Newsline, you'll be able to find out more information and the application process. Transcripts of Mosin at Large are brought to you by Numa Solutions, a global leader in accessible cloud technologies. On the web at numasolutions.com. That's P-N-E-U-M-A solutions.com. Mercifully, things seem to have settled down on the ESET front, and I have reinstalled ESET on my ThinkPad. I figured, well, I've got the license, so I may as well install it. And with the tips that Brian Hartgen provided, everything is going well again. So that is a relief. Now, Lindy is writing in about this. She says, to quote you, oh dear, it's always scary when you get yourself quoted back at you. Windows Defender has kept me safe for many years. It's light on the CPU. It doesn't cost me anything. It's built into the operating system. Mm. And then Lindy says, I had an email discussion with Brian Harchin about this recently, and he doesn't seem to agree. He recommended that I use another security protection because Windows Defender would not allow me to download a small program, which he suggests one install so that Lucy will be able to work seamlessly to correct spelling, i.e. tiny spell. I tried to download it, but Windows Defender asked me if I was sure of the website that it came from, and when trying to approve it, I came across a visual confirmation dialogue. As I am totally blind, I opted for the audio prompt, but for the life of me, I couldn't make out all five words. I tell you what, those things with a hearing impairment are even worse. They are just awful. She says, I tried several versions, but it was impossible. My choice is now to forego Brian's recommended software to work with Lisi or to use another paid-for security program, which I don't want to do. I have used others before and never found them very fathomable. At a loss, says Lindy. 
Yes, I can appreciate the dilemma, Dindi, and I can also appreciate it from the other point of view. You can imagine that if you are supporting many customers and they're all writing to you, taking up your time because Microsoft has done something daft, that really would get on your nerves, wouldn't it? When your email box is full up, when you're a small operator, when you're writing the code and doing the support and doing it all, and something that is fundamentally avoidable takes up a lot of support time, that is really frustrating. And I do have some empathy because I've been in that position myself, providing support and then also trying to create new products. There's only one of you. And then a lot of your support traffic is avoidable and it's being caused because Microsoft is being overzealous at best and just downright wrong at worst. It's frustrating. And I think what's happened is that we have moved on from a time when Windows Defender just wasn't very good to a point where Windows Defender is actually quite good at what it does, but it also gives out a lot of false positives. And especially if you're a smaller operator in the blind community and you've got a niche product and that niche product is not recognized because in the context of Windows applications, it just doesn't have the critical mass, it's going to cause problems. So I understand the issue. You may possibly be able to get Tiny Spell from somewhere. I mean, Tiny Spell is pretty ubiquitous. And if you do a Google for it, it's possible that you can find Tiny Spell on a site that isn't going to make Windows Defender grumpy. So I would use your favorite search engine of choice to see if you can track it down. In the end, though, maybe it is necessary to get a better quality antivirus and security suite that is not going to flag things that are actually harmless. Hello, Jonathan, says Andy Collins. I'm wondering if you can help. I'm trying to decide whether to go for the Sony WM-XM5 headphones or the Apple AirPods Max instead. I have an iPhone 14 Pro and I'm aware of Oticon More hearing aids. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on the AirPods Max if you have tried them and if in fact you've ever made use of the headphone accommodations feature under accessibility in iOS, which require the wearing of Apple headphones. Headphone accommodations seem to let the user have the ability to adjust EQ settings. I'm assuming these EQ options are different to the ones found under the main music tab in general settings. Anyhow, what I do know is that you own the Sony headphones and I have heard you say that you got them to work well with your Oticon hearing aids. So I was wondering what volume level you are able to achieve with the XM5s before feedback kicks in, as I do like to crank up the volume when listening on headphones. My other question is about the Sony app and its accessibility, especially when it comes to making EQ adjustments or fine-tuning frequency adjustments. I would very much like to be able to do this rather than have my audiologist continue to make adjustments for an accessible music program on the hearing aids. Many thanks for all the assistance you give. Andy, I did not try the AirPods because I concluded that a lot of people have had to return them. There was ongoing comment in the tech press about issues with the cups and leakage and things, and it just seemed to me that they were not as good a value for money as the XM5s. 
the bows are in a similar market. And I think the order I would put them in is the XM5s and then the Bose and then the AirPods. I just think they're too pricey for what they do. Of course, if all you are going to do is listen to them with Apple products, there may be some attractions there and you've identified one of them, which is the accommodations. I have found that the app is maybe on the quirky side, but usable. And I have been able to make all kinds of adjustments with the app. I had my audiologist set up a music program on my Oticon Open S1s, which is a model behind the ones that you are using. And that is pretty linear. And when I'm wearing the headphones, the cups cover or embrace, if you will, the hearing aids, even though they are BTE. And what I find it's necessary to do is to take the music program down from its default by about three clicks. There's still plenty of volume on the headphones, so you can really crank it up and enjoy it. But I find that by doing that, I'm not getting any feedback. But this is such a variable thing because the way that your hearing aids are configured, your particular hearing loss may mean that you've got more high frequencies compensated for, and that could affect how much feedback you get. I think that if you are a hearing aid wearer, it's a big gamble to just buy these without trying them. This is one occasion where I would recommend going into a store and putting them on and playing music and seeing what effect you get with your particular hearing aids configured for your particular hearing loss. And you may find that of those three products, the AirPods Max, the Sony and the Bose, that one just sounds more natural or gives less feedback than another. So I try them myself and see which one works for you. But I've got no complaints about these headphones, the Sony ones. I haven't owned a pair of noise-canceling headphones since way back in the days of the Bose QuietComfort 2. And man, they've really come a long way. It was very pleasant having them on in the plane and the degree of noise that they were cancelling out. Pavel is in touch. He says, hello, Jonathan, and dear listeners of the podcast, warm greetings from cold and rainy Poland. I have been following the Mosin at Large podcast for a while, listening to each episode, but it is only now that I found something I might be able to contribute to the show. Well, welcome. It's great to have you contributing. In the episode, I believe 201, a listener from Milan called Thomas had asked about strategies that help blind travellers maintain a straight line when walking. I guess there might be different methods to achieve that, but the first that came to my mind is a device that I own that is manufactured and immediately used in Germany. It is called Feelspace Navibelt, and you can find out more under the following link. And that link is feelspace.de slash en. That'll take you straight to the English version. feelspace.de slash en. It is a belt worn around the waist, secured with a Velcro strap, equipped with 16 vibrating motors, similar to those of a mobile phone. In essence, the device is a compass, and it indicates only by vibrating the respective module according to our current location. In other words, wherever we feel the vibration, there is the north. Another mode of this device, however, allows us to specify our current bearing as our goal, so that when crossing the road, for example, we can hold on to that direction and immediately notice when we go astray. I guess this is what Thomas meant, and it may be a great help. 
not only to those who are making their first steps in the area of independent mobility, but also to seasoned travellers and those proficient with their mobility skills. A further feature, which I personally use the most, is the ability to pair the device with our smartphone through a dedicated app for both iOS and Android and plan a whole route where our phone acts as a source for the GPS data and the belt indicates the general direction towards our target or the nearest turn. This way, it is possible to put the phone back in our pocket and complete the navigation by following the vibration of the belt, only occasionally checking where our next point is. I have been using the Navi belt for two years now, and in 99% of cases, it led me to where I needed to be. Since Thomas lives in Europe, it will make it easier for him to try out the device. The company offers a try-before-you-buy service, and the only thing that needs to be paid are the shipping fees. The staff at Fieldspace provide an excellent service, are always there to answer any questions or even book longer support sessions if need be, which is great, as with the price tag of €2,300, it is not an investment one enters lightly. Should any of the listeners be interested to learn more, I am sure the company employees will be more than happy to answer any queries, and so am I within my capacity as a user. Thank you for all that you do, bringing the latest news and the variety of opinions regarding different topics concerning life with blindness, and keep up the good work. I look forward to future episodes and wish you a great week. What an interesting contraption that is. I don't think I've heard of that. So thank you very much for emailing in, and I hope that we'll hear from you regularly. If anyone else has tried this Fieldspace product and wants to comment on it, I'd be really interested in feedback on it. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. Howard has written in and says, For the person having trouble navigating by sentence in JAWS, Freedom Scientific changed the keystrokes assigned to the next sentence and previous sentence command in version 2022. The changes are documented on the What's New page in the help file for JAWS 2022 as follows. Changes to sentence navigation keystrokes in desktop layout. When using the JAWS desktop keyboard layout, you can now press Alt Numpad Plus or Alt Numpad Minus to read the next or prior sentence in a document. This allows Alt Plus Up or Alt Plus Down Arrow previously used for sentence navigation to work as intended by specific applications. For instance, using Alt plus up or Alt plus down arrow in Teams moves between open chats. The command to read the current sentence, Alt plus numpad 5, is still the same. These new keystrokes work well for me, says Howard. Give them a try. Genius, Howard. Thank you very much for sending that in. That does indeed work. Peachy, peachy. And as I say, it's not a command that I personally use a lot, but I hope that helps the listener who was asking about it. Hello, Jonathan. Lisa here. I am a longtime listener to your podcast, first-time caller. I'm a bit shy, so it took me a bit to get up my nerve. Plus, I have a question I hope you can help me with, so that helped me um, get up the nerve to call in. Anyways, um, I really enjoy your podcast. Very informative. Thank you for all that you do and, you know, putting that together and... I've learned a lot from it, so I definitely appreciate it. I'm calling for you from the United States, by the way. Um, So my question is about the Overcast app. I know you've used that in the past, I believe. 
Maybe if you don't know, some of your listeners may. I am signed into my Overcast app on my iPhone 11 Pro, which I use quite a bit. Um, I got a new iPad Mini 6, and I tried to sign in on that because I wanted to start listening on that. And I can't sign in. It keeps telling me my password's wrong, and I know it's not, but it won't let me sign in. So I'm trying to change the password, and I'm not having any luck finding where to do that. I'd like to change it here on my iPhone, and then I can log in on the iPad and have it both on the iPhone and iPad and do most of my listening on the iPad. So hoping somebody you could tell me or one of your listeners could tell me how to change my password in the Overcast app. Phew, you got through it. Good on you, Lisa. Thank you for contributing for the first time. And hopefully once you've done it once, it's easy, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't that bad. And it was good to hear you. I think I have an answer for you. If you go into the settings of Overcast, you will find a button there called Sync. And if you have created an account in the past with Overcast that required a username and password, there will be a Change Password button right there under Sync. And if you double tap that, you should be able to set a new password. If for some reason that doesn't work, what I would suggest you do is on the iPad where you're trying to log in, if you choose the Forgot My Password option, it will send you an email with a link to reset your password. So that's the second way that you could try if the first way doesn't work. Hope that helps. I'm sure you were paying riveted attention to Mosin at Large 205, in which case you will recall the email that we got from Adi in India, and he recounted a real-world example of the damage that the voiceover bug relating to focus in certain lists can do. And in this case, he was talking about calling the wrong people in his list of recent contacts at a time when he was with a woman and she basically thought he was incompetent. And it was all his phone's fault. And I said, we need closure. Are you still talking to this woman? How did it go? You know, I'm curious. It's like that ABBA song, Don't Shut Me Down, which I love on their comeback album, Voyage. But Bonnie and I spent a lot of time endlessly speculating. So did he let her back into his life? Did he slam the door? Bonnie thinks what happened is that there's a woman who comes out of the bedroom, you know, where she's getting dressed or something and says, who is this woman? And she gets kind of sent away with a flea in her ear. Maybe I'll get the chance to ask Bjorn what he thinks happened at some point. But anyway, this one's much easier to get closure on this issue of Adi's because we've heard from him again. And he says, hi, mate. In short, the chapter with Nakita is closed. Yes, she was put off with the recent calls issue bug in iOS. But that was not at all the reason for us not meeting again. We did chat a few times, post our date at the cafe, and were planning to catch up again. However, she is looking for someone very affluent, someone who has a permanent cook, driver, dot, dot, dot. In short, someone at a CEO level. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> we did enjoy our conversations and both of us love the cafe, but I am not the CEO, mate. Oh, well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Um, believe me, it can be stressful, Adi, so you might be better off. There are plenty more fish in the sea, as my mum used to tell me. 
I love to hear from you, so if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Who's in that phone?